Bible passage for today is in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 to 18. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the rule of the kings of the earth, the rulers of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be king to be a kingdom and priest, to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power and forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the cloud, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the people of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, said the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering, in kingdom and patience and endurance, that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet who said, Write on, a scroll, write on a scroll what you see and send, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing water. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all his brilliance. When I saw him, I felt at his feet, as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. How they manage so many microphones back there, I don't know. Uh, I was watching as people were switching around and uh, no simple matter for sure. Okay, Um, today we're going to be looking at another testimony from another brother of ours from an earlier day 
by the name of John. And uh, going to be kind of reviewing a little bit related to the meaning of Advent. We have a couple of weeks coming, actually about four weeks in a row, we're going to be looking at Advent. Uh, and then follow it with um, uh, the, uh, the joyous time of celebration related to, to Christmas. And of course, I don't know uh, when you think about the second coming of Christ, uh, how much you have studied or uh, have recognized the importance of, of what it is. But the, um, the, 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 the second coming uh, uh, or the times when Christ has come are, are, are times of uh, uh, special meaning and special purpose. The, um, in, in, back in history, there have been multiple times when Christian leaders have gathered together and uh, tried to bring uh, some unity of thinking for what the church is and was going to be and who it is going to be uh, or, or how it's going to be functioning in the future. Um, and something a number of years ago, we are Baptists. Baptists are not a creedal organization or body of people. We don't do very well with creeds. But there is a creed that many of people have heard of called the Nicene Creed that gives the following statement. It says that he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. There certainly is uh, truth within all that is stated there. And uh, even though we are not a creedal body as Baptists in the sense that we feel like we have to sign on the dotted line. In fact, I always get a kick out of listening in our congregation, in our church, related to what we think of as Baptist. Because the truth is, Baptist, basically it means it's a bunch of Christians that have gathered together with all kinds of opinions. That's Baptist. And um, so there are different ways of doing things. And you come into a Baptist church and they say, oh, this is the way Baptists do it. And I always kind of laugh at it. Yes. And that's also the way Baptists do it. And that over there is also the way Baptists do it. But when it comes to our theology, we're still pretty conservative. We're pretty much believers that the word of God is uh, truly important to our lives and that that is the standard for our living. Christmas is coming soon. I don't know how you feel about Christmas. I don't know how you deal with Christmas. People have different emotions tied to Christmas. Some people like it and think it's very wonderful. Personally, I enjoy the Christmas time frame because over the weeks that approach Christmas, people tend to be a little bit more open than normal. Uh, I enjoy looking at the lights. I love Christmas carols. But I admit I get very frustrated with commercialism. I don't do real well with Santa Claus, to be very honest, because Santa Claus has gotten people so confused that now all we hear people saying is happy holidays, which to me is almost like saying frogs eat fish. It, I mean, it has no meaning to me, happy holidays. Uh, it's, it's the same kind of situation we dealt with when we talked about Thanksgiving, but Thanksgiving you don't mention God. My challenge with that one is, well, who are you thanking Thank you that we are doing great. We've had a good harvest. But you're thanking yourself. 
somewhere there's some communication issues there. But Christmas for me very much is a time of blessing. You know, when you use the term Merry Christmas, ultimately that should be a kind of blessing for other people because you're using Christ's name and saying, I hope you have a blessed Christmas, a special time of remembering your relationship to Christ. Today we come together with a candle to remind us of hope. We will have over these weeks many different churches, again, being a Baptist, many different churches have different, different words that they use for the four or five weeks that come through here. But we're starting off with hope, and that word I've not even heard one group say that they did not use that particular term. And hope is a type of optimism. It's a time for us to reflect. And I think we can reflect on the Old Testament and the people of Israel. In the old days of uh, prior to Jesus' first, come to that first coming 2,000 years ago, at that time of uh, uh, of Advent where we would use uh, or recognize Christ's contribution to us, the people of Israel gathered with a great hope that the coming Messiah would meet their needs, meet their desires. One of the problems was how Jesus did come. He did not come necessarily in the, uh, the way that they expected, and we'll be discussing that in a few minutes. There's much more for us to consider, and that is uh, what we're here to do today. But Jesus lives in our hearts. Physically, He departed us. According to Scripture, He will return. The news of Advent is good news. In the Old Testament, when we looked at the people of, of Israel, their experience was that they had been abused and been uh, often found in, well, they often found themselves in roles of um, being a servant or a slave, uh, found themselves in great hardship. And yet they still thought of themselves as a chosen people of God. There was a sense of spiritual identity that guided their existence. Brothers and sisters, I wish that we would have that same understanding of our relationship with God and that we had such an intimate walk with our Father that our decision-making and our excitement for life, our hope, could very much be within what God has done and less than what we have done. But when people in the Old Testament, when we, you know, they, they were living, they had their dreams out in front of them looking for a Messiah. And Christ came. But, you know, when we think of Christ, for you and myself, normally people think about Jesus. He came, and especially at Christmas time, if I asked you to describe him, you would say, oh, it's a baby in a manger. You'd remember he would be surrounded. Now, we all know that the Christmas cards got us kind of confused on this point because you'll have him surrounded by some wise men and some shepherds and all kinds of people that couldn't possibly have made it to that particular location that quickly. But him being born in a manger is accurate. So he was there in less than an ideal situation. We can all say that we know the story, we know where he was born, 
We will tell you that we can say that we know it was in what city. We can say what place that it was in a barn. We can go ahead. We can follow that up. We can say who his parents were. We may recognize that his parents had some very unique situations in their own lives because indeed, while they were engaged, they were not married. And she became pregnant. And it wasn't Joseph's son. So, very uncomfortable. Very confusing. How is this going to happen? Of course, God provided a way to help Joseph put his heart to rest and understand more of what was going on. But a lot of unique situations around the birth of Christ. And and we see a Joseph who had the courage to say that he knew some of his friends were going to question. They're going to look at this and they're going to realize that there's a problem here. Getting pregnant without him even being the father. Should he marry or not? Of course, God gave him guidance, gave him courage. The point that we have to understand is today is that hope is found in Christ. It, is, it was uh, something that the Jewish people had as they expected a Messiah. But the Messiah that they hoped for was not one born in a manger. Not one born of humble beginnings. And certainly was not one that would follow the path that Christ did. This hope was when Jesus did not represent. It was somewhat lost when he did not represent what they expected. You know, hope is often found within ourselves. We define what we think of as important. What is hopeful? The Jews were very dissatisfied with Jesus. Indeed, they were angry with Jesus. How do you handle disappointments today? Do you ever have expectations that are not met? When you think about the church, are you ever disappointed? How about the people in the church? How about the thinking of other people? Are you ever disappointed? How about the, your own wife? How about your husband? How about your pastor? When they do things or lack in certain skill areas, how do you handle your disappointments? Do you ever get angry? Get frustrated? Want to take action to deal with something? Let me put it a different way. You know, the Scripture says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Do you believe that that's what Jesus was and is? Do you believe that without Christ, people will die in their sins? Have these facts ever challenged you to share the gospel with someone else? And when you shared that gospel and you told them about Jesus and how he loves them and that hope is only found in Jesus, and they still said, no, thank you. I don't want to hear about your Jesus. Did you feel disappointment? Did you feel like you had failed? Think about Jesus and what the Jews thought was to be their Messiah. No power, no success, no societal position. That's what Jesus offered. That is not what they expected. They felt Jesus had let them down. So, 
they determined that he definitely was not the Messiah that they wanted because they already had the Messiah put in a nice clean box for what he was coming to do. They knew what he was supposed to be. He was going to give them, as Jews, a higher position in society. Finally, they were going to get justice, reconciliation, power, authority, position, respect. But Jesus didn't bring that to them. Jesus came as a suffering servant. You see, that's, what, that's the Jesus that we worship, a suffering servant. It was His modeling as a suffering servant, which tells us that to follow Jesus is not to follow a successful, rich, high-positioned individual. At Jesus' first coming into Bethlehem, He appeared to be arriving with powerful words and strength. And everybody thought, this guy is really worth following. And He did these things called miracles. And people said, wow, do I want to follow this Jesus? This is great. Everyone was on his bandwagon, so to speak. And yet, gradually, things began to change. He asked the people to follow him where they could not go. When you think of Jesus, the Messiah, 2,000 years ago, have you ever asked yourself how well you really follow him? Some of us think, I do okay. You know, I I mean, I read my scripture sometimes. Uh, I pray a little bit. Uh, I go to church, you know, on Sundays most of the time. Uh, I'm involved in some kind of a small group and I lead some children's work and I do some this and I do that. You know, the truth is, even just to have a regular Bible study in our lives, each week we struggle. How do we ever think that we truly can follow Christ? Matthew 5.44 says, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Can you really do it? Can you really say that you're a solid follower of Christ? I think this is the challenge that the Jesus, the suffering servant Jesus, gives us from 2,000 years ago. I attended Dallas Baptist University 40 years ago. Yes, time goes by. My sons, I have one who went there to school and graduated from there, completed a master's degree, and is still working on campus. Around their campus today, you'll find pictures on walls, and sculptures all over the campus. But the most popular sculpture is the the one from John 13, 5. That sculpture is popular because it is Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Now, it's very well done, but that's not why it's popular. It's popular because people go there and are looking at that as they remind themselves that they too need to humble themselves more. Brothers and sisters, I would say to you that the suffering servant model that Jesus gave us the first time He came 
is a real challenge to follow. It's not nearly as easy as us just saying we read a little Bible, we pray a little during the week. The students go before that sculpture sometimes and will cry. Sometimes they'll reflect, but they'll always challenge themselves. Now today, we're moving into Advent and thinking about the next appearance of Jesus. Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 to 18. He's coming again, but this time he's not coming as a suffering servant. So the first model is a legitimate model for us to look at and to learn from. Suffering servant, humble spirit, hang in there, keep going, follow him, and he will care for you. Second Jesus that's coming, the second time he comes, he's not coming as a suffering servant. He will not be looking as if he just came off a cross and suffered for our sins. He will be seen as the reigning Messiah. He will be seen as the one who comes to bring judgment to this wicked world that we're in. For those who have suffered and wondered throughout their lives, why God, about so many injustices and unfair behaviors, there will be a day coming. So many of us have asked the question, why God, why me? Why them? Isn't there an answer that can make this all the way it should be? The answer is yes, there's an answer. And reconciliation is coming. Christ will do it on his time frame. This Jesus that we see in the book of Revelation is not the humble servant. It's not the one who suffers abuse. It's the Christ, the powerful one. It's the Christ that the Jews wanted the first time, but they wanted it only for themselves. Whereas next time around, he'll be coming for all those Christians. Who follow him. He says I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. I am the I am. I am the eternal God. I am the beginning. I am the ending. I am all that's in between. That's who your Jesus Christ is. He is saying to us. Not to see him as a suffering Jesus. See him as the powerful Christ. See him as the Christ who will reign forever and ever. Amen. He's saying, I am has come. Advent, the next time. We need to be prepared. Because it's going to be, for Christians, a very joyous day. For non-Christians, it's a very frightening day. It should challenge us. It should challenge us to step forth in our evangelism, in helping people to come to know Christ. And I'm not just saying Jesus talk. When I say evangelism, I mean in our lifestyle, in our love for people, and in our care for people. We're going to look quickly at some scripture. Verse 4, John writes to the seven churches. That is, uh, to help them to help us. The seven spirits refers to the completeness of the Holy Spirit's guidance. When it uses the number seven, we know throughout 
revelation. We're going to bump into this over and over and over. But it's a number of completeness. So when it talked about the seven churches, it meant literally there were seven churches in those cities. The churches had were in the, were in the places that were mentioned. But it also challenges us even to this day. Because it's saying all churches can learn from what is being stated. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, verse 5, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, in a time when the emperor worship was very, very popular, very, very expected. I shouldn't say popular, but emperor worship was the requirement for all around. Jesus is compared as the ruler of rulers. It's a, it's a way of saying Jesus is above kings, he's above emperors, he is the one that people follow. It's a pretty uh, radical statement. Verses 5 and 6. Christ's blood washed away all Christian sins and gave us position as kings. And He deserves praise for His gracious gift. Verse 7. Advent 2. It basically, it's a picture of Christ who went away now and returns in class. No, everybody's going to know. There is no hidden, he's sneaking in the back door experience. When Christ comes next time, it's going to be so overwhelming that the world will know and have to deal with that reality. Because he is coming with power, but he's also coming to judge. We have to be honest. Our Lord loves, He wants justice, He wants fairness, He wants reconciliation, but He's the one to do it. There's nothing wrong with us trying to care about the needs of other people while we are here. But ultimately the one that will make it all right is not you or me. But it will happen with Christ. And all people will know. Verse 8, the Almighty has come, Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, first and last. All that He is. And then in verse 9, it says, John was on an island. He said, I am a brother and I'm there to suffer. And the reason I'm on that island is because the emperor and others placed me here because I was not a good boy. I would not bow to emperor worship. I was focused. And I had to pay a price. And that's what I see. I'm challenged by that to ask ourselves, when we get into the world in which we live, how focused are we on number one, being sure that our walk with Christ is most important. Our witness for Christ. You know, people see us coming and going from our church building. Well, a good illustration was Halloween, for example. Having activities inside of our church, great. But the going and coming, people on the outside don't know who we are. So when they can't see us coming and going, when we come in, we can do any kind of activity we want to inside. But when we're outside and people see us coming and going, if we're all looking like we've got on our little skeletons and whatever, it's very confusing to the non-Christian society around us. You see, that's not just a Halloween thing. That's a daily experience. People are watching you. You don't want to be watched. Sorry. 
non-Christians want to see Christians living out a life that shows what they believe. People do watch us. We don't want to be. Nobody says, gee, look at me. You know, I'm, a, I'm great, boy. I, I'm so good. My... No, we don't do that because we know none of us are successful in our walk. We've already said that. We've already seen that in Scripture. He says, follow, but we know we can't. We know that we don't love our enemies very well. Pray for those that hate us. Oh, boy, that's difficult. The ones that persecute us. Oh, my goodness. But people are watching. Emperor worship gave him challenge. But he said, I am going to be consistent, even if it costs a lot. What price are you willing to pay to be consistent? Verses 10 onward. Verse 10 to 18. Then Jesus, the Jesus of the future will come and bring hope. He will speak to us with power and authority. John turned to hear a great, powerful voice telling him to care for the churches and to pass on the message. You know, the seven golden candlesticks are the churches. And they were surrounded by, they surrounded the Son of Man in the center. And it described the Son of Man with all this great terminology of white hair and lengthy robes and breastplates and, and all kinds of description, basically saying, he was the one of authority. He was the King of kings, Lord of lords. He had the ability to judge and cut through all of the garbage and find what was accurate in our lives. I fear it would not take a lot for God to look at me and find a lot of my weaknesses. But fortunately, praise God, according to what we're seeing in Scripture in 2 Timothy 4.1, basically it's telling us that Christians are not the primary receiver of this kind of judgment. It's the non-Christian. So we've got to help more people to come into the kingdom. Is evangelism important? Yes, evangelism is important. He will reward those who love Him at the judgment seat of Christ for their deeds. But there will be no con uh, condemnation for the saved at His hand. He will stand with the Father as the righteous judge of the lost at the great white throne judgment. But again, the question is, what is our walk with Christ? What we, you get to this point, you get a little nervous and you begin to say, wow, this powerful God with all of this authority is about to come back. I'm not real sure that I'm living up to the standard of what God would want well, we need to remember one thing. You never, ever will live up to His standard. You're already a failure, and so are you. We're all failures. If we're dependent on our own ability, we're not going to make it. Christ is alive. He gives us hope because of His blood which we find in the Scripture above in verse 5 and 6. It's what He did, not what we do. It's never been about you and your ability. Christ says, this is a time of hope. And He says, 
A living, holy, omniscient, authoritative, powerful Christ stands in the middle of the churches and he holds the destiny of all the churches in his hands, which are the seven stars. And he says to them, he says, stop being afraid. Just stop it. I was dead, but I'm alive. I have the keys to death. In Hades. I've got power over all of this. You don't need to worry. Your worry is a waste of your time and effort. Be thankful you have relationship with me. Brothers and sisters, today I look at this scripture in chapter 1 of Revelation and I see great hope. Because you and I walk with Christ. Not because you walk with Christ in perfect step. But because you're smart enough to know that He is Lord. And that He can protect you and carry you on. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for me. At the same time, I'm challenged. Because the hope that's available is something we can celebrate if we allow Christ to be our Lord. And He will handle all the issues, and He'll figure out all the struggles and all the challenges that come in the future. And when He comes, He is the judge, not you, not me. But what do we do about our friends who have yet to know Christ? For them... The day will not be a great day. Yes, they'll see him coming, but it doesn't uh, present a great picture. It presents a difficult picture. For those who are followers of our Lord, we fear not. The ones who have chosen commercialism, materialism, all of the other things that we were talking about, as opposed to actually looking at a spiritual mirror to evaluate themselves, the future will be different. I want to encourage you today to pray that God will give you a heart that will be broken for the lost. I appreciate the hope. And I think the hope is what this is all about because the future is in Jesus' hands. The hope that was brought 2,000 years ago, that was wonderful. This is the fulfillment of that hope. But let us pray that we are more sensitive to, to recognize that people are all around us and they are looking for a real Christian. Our witness can influence their lives. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you today simply seeking your joy, your happiness, your fulfillment, your presence in our being, that we might be a hope to a lost world. Father, we have friends, neighbors, relatives that do not know You. They know about You. They may even know Your story of what happened 2,000 years ago. And yet, Father, we recognize they've never confessed their sins and asked You to be their Lord. Father, we would ask that You would use us as humble servants, modeled by Christ, 
to reach out to these people and in a loving way share your love with them. In Jesus' name, amen.